Welcome to All In. I'm Rick Jordan. Today I'm the CEO of a large technology company, but in 2007, I lost it all. And now I'm here to share the lessons I've learned and the strategies my guests have used to build success from the bottom up. And in every episode, you'll get something to reach for and something to grab onto. Whether it's personal development, business, technology, or giving back, you'll be able to ignite the spark in your life to make that change and transformation so 10 years down the road from now, You'll be able to look back and say, I don't even know that person that I was. I'm so glad I decided to rise. I'm so glad I decided to stand up and actually begin to start to ignite the spark, to go all in. Welcome back to All In with Rick Jordan. I am Rick Jordan. This episode has kind of got me a little apprehensive today because I, I want to give you a little bit about my upbringing and how I apply a lot of where I've been to where I am right now. And this topic, the subject can be a little touchy for some because it's about spirituality and it's really about the foundation and core of who I am. And I'll give you some background into my life and how I grew up and things. I have grown up in an evangelical church pretty much all of my life. And I don't even remember the first time I went. The first memory I have of being in a church was being held by my dad in his arms as my family was being introduced to this church of about 200 people, smaller church saying, hey, we're welcoming this new family. And I was just looking around at all these people staring at me when I was about five years old. It was in a gymnasium of a school. It was rather progressive at the time because back then, I mean, you're talking middle of the 1980s, church was still just considered to be that building with the steeple on it. And here's a church happening in a gymnasium. So my first experience with church in general was in a very unique setting very different from everything around me. And that kind of stuck with me now that I look back on it, is, is that I've never really associated church with that building, meaning going to a place. And then that's where I meet with God. And that's the only place that it can happen. Because my first experience was just in a freaking school gym, an elementary school gym. It's one of the earliest memories that I have, one of the most vivid ones. I can still just close my eyes and see everyone that's sitting out there in those steel folding chairs with the white, disgusting, ugly tile that was in the gym. And there was just a piano that was there that they sang their songs and hymns with. And that I don't know why that memory sticks with me, but I started very, very young in this very unique setting. And Moving in through that, they eventually bought a building, built a building, your traditional whatever, you know, and instead of a steeple at the top, it had a big cross at the top. It, it was pretty fun. I, I grew up in that place, went to youth group. I actually started speaking for my first time. I taught a class when I was in sixth grade. I had an opportunity to teach the entire Sunday school class that was there. Then I had more when I was in seventh and eighth grade. Then in, in youth group, I had an opportunity to speak. Uh, I remember my very first, if you want to call it a sermon, when I was 14 years old, I talked about gossip in the church and just in general and how the story can change from one person to another based on their perception. So even back then I was sort of a spy because I was in the psychology of things. You know, I'm CIA trained. I, I love getting into people's heads. I even love getting reactions out of them. It's just something fun that I do. It's really, really fun when you're making fun of someone and they don't know that you're actually doing it. It's a little sadisticness that I have going on out of my head, but it's, it's great because usually I'll point it out, you know, just to bring them up to 
whatever level and they're just not noticing things. But I notice a lot of things. And I played this game when I gave my first, if you want to call it a sermon, when I was 14, the telephone game. Did anyone ever play that when you were in school? I lined up, there was like 30 kids there in the group, and I don't even remember the, the phrase. It was something stupid like the purple pickle flies at midnight or whatever it is that I gave to the first person, and then they had to turn to the next and say the same phrase, the same sentence, going all the way down the line. It was a little more complex than that, but by the time that story got to the very last person, it looked nothing like it did when it first came out of my mouth. And that was the the application that I gave to everybody, getting into people's heads, because it was all those different personalities coming into play. And the, the whole point was about gossip and how the story that you hear is never the actual story that really began. You know, and you can talk about that with news media. You can talk about that with politics. You can talk about that in just work office interactions, everything. Typically, the story that you hear, unless it's from that person's mouth, is never what actually happened. You can talk about that with divorce, too, or any sort of marital issues, because I, there's always two sides to every story. Even though you might be friends with one specific spouse and they're trying to get you on their side, it's tough, especially when you're friends with two different, with both the, the husband and the wife or both partners. And one person is giving you a story and they expect you to be on their side with this. I think back to this first setting, you know, and that helped gauge my perception on how to apply some things that I learned in my spiritual setting growing up, even to just everyday life, knowing that there is people that are always involved. Whenever humans get involved, stuff gets messed up. <laughs> no, no matter how clear you think the Bible might be, no matter how infallible you think it might be. I have my own views on that. So I, just to let you know where I stand, I personally believe that the Bible is completely infallible, how it was originally written. And then there's a bunch of things that I could go down a rabbit hole with as far as how it's been altered over the years, but I won't do that. So in its basic contextual standing, as it was originally written, we're talking 2000 years ago, 100%. I'm all in for that. There's been things like the Catholic Church and Constantine in 325 AD that have changed it over time. And again, it's that perspective thing, right? I go back to the telephone game <laughs> that when it went from person to person to person over the years, it is impossible for it to be exactly the same word for word how it was originally written because it's been through so many people, so many minds, so many emotions, so many different perspectives on how things should be, so many humans that have messed it up over the years. And that one game that I played in my first ever talk in a church, my first ever sermon, if you want to talk, when I was 14 years old, still sticks with me as far as how I view this and how everything has changed. So I like to come back to the basics and start applying those things to my life. We'll get into that in a little bit here, but I, I want to keep taking you through the journey of where I came. When I was 14, I told you I gave my first sermon. I actually started playing drums in the church band when I was 10 years old. And I was a really, really freaking good drummer because my dad started teaching me at five and I didn't teach myself guitar until I was 12. I just thought it was a cooler instrument. And honestly, I had more fun with it. You know, plus, I mean, your level of sexiness just goes up exponentially the moment you put on a guitar. It doesn't matter how 
ugly you are or how ugly you think you are, as soon as you strap that, even if you don't know how to play, you ever played the game Rock Band? How do you feel when you just put that thing on? You feel like you can rule the world. It doesn't matter if you know how to play. Go into a guitar center or something like that and just put one on. You'll hear, don't worry about it if you suck because everybody else in guitar center for the most part sucks anyways. They're just there to make noise. You put it on, you have fun with it, but you look at yourself in the mirror and you're like, oh my God. Here am I, and I have this amazing looking thing in front of me. It's like your level of sexiness just goes up. Squirrel! <laughs> Squirrel! I started playing drums when I was 10 in the, in the church band, and that piano that was there when I was five years old became a, a piano in Oregon. And I don't know if you remember, but organs were a big thing in the 90s, especially the old Hammond B3s. That's down. And I'm not, I'm not talking in church because churches have had organs, geez, for centuries at this point, I think. And but they can't, I mean, Blues Traveler was a band that was back then, right? And, you know, the whole grunge movement with Seattle, there was a lot of organs that were making up some of the, the foundational sounds in this. And it, so it was everywhere. And how I said church was really progressive for me and where it was, even being in that building, they were still incorporating some more modern music. And I could go down the rabbit hole also about how these things change, you know, and how I even relate it to millennials today, because I view how everyone views that demographic, which I hate that demo or that label of millennial to begin with, because everyone was that at some point. I've said this time and time before. I've had guests on the show that have said this time and time before that it's just a different generation and everyone forgets that they were that person. You know, you talk about music today, whether it's Cardi B, whether it's Beyonce, whoever, and you look back 20 years ago, you know, I, I was walking through a Home Depot the other day and Nirvana is playing over the speakers in there as quote unquote elevator music. That now is classic rock. Yeah, but at that point in time, it was mind blowing and parents hated it because it was just different. I got the same experience in the church. The transition from only singing hymns to singing choruses that had music theory with them, that had verses and then a chorus and then a verse, a chorus and then a bridge. You know, minds were blown in, in churches that were very traditional because they thought that hymns were the only way to worship God. This uh, can, can you see the, the connection here to just everyday life and even in business when People come up with new ideas, better ideas, and they'll say, oh, that never works. You know, we got to go back to the old stuff because we know that that works. Yeah, it might have worked at that time, but things shift. You know, just even going back to the Bible as it was originally written and how it shifted over time because why? It got into the hands of humans. Everything in life gets into the hands of humans. So whenever you're looking at whatever, I'm applying what I've learned in my spiritual life to everyday aspects of this. As I've grown up through church and in spirituality, I've formed my beliefs and I apply these things to every single area of my life. Relationships, marriage, fatherhood, business, friendships, everything. 14 years old, I talk for the first time in the church. When I'm 16, I've already started learning playing guitar. I, I was really good at that point. I, I led the youth group band in the church. And that was a lot of fun because I had this, that's where I met my wife, actually, Jaina. She was playing keys in that. Go figure, an electric keyboard. You know, we were just coming out of the 80s. You know? <laughs> and I, I always say, you know, maybe there was a couple things, maybe like Michael Jackson or whatever, but music-wise, there wasn't much good <laughs> that came out of the 80s. You know, you had the 70s, which were pretty awesome. Then you had the 90s with the, the grunge movement, the alternative movement, which was amazing. I was so fortunate, I feel, to be alive in that time period because it 
it was just incredible seeing music shifted and people coming up with these new ideas and applying that too, because that was almost a spiritual experience. And music, I've noticed too, can do that. It can create an atmosphere. It can create an environment that can change the way people literally think about what they're doing. And that's why it's so powerful. So to say that it can only stay the same way forever and that, you know, there's a, a verse in the Bible that says God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yeah, of course he is. But the Bible was written in the perspective of the culture at the time. It was written, penned by human beings. And while the principles in there are absolutely sound, the way that they were related to at that point in time had to do with the culture that they were living in. You know, nowadays, could you imagine them being mind blown from everything that we have from the Internet? How, how to talk about that? You know, the, the, there's a lot that thought that the Internet was the devil <laughs> when it first came about. Uh, just because it was something that they didn't know. And these radical evangelicals, which is what I grew up in, in that setting, these radical evangelicals will just shun anything that is new. And I've seen that a lot. So I was very fortunate to grow up and, and be around progressives in that mindset. You know, And uh, there was even one church that I was a part of to where uh, this this blows my mind still. This was later on, you know, maybe 10 years ago, something like that. And it got to the point to where they wanted to ban, completely ban tablets when iPads came out. So you're talking just 10 years ago because the only real way to read the Bible was on paper. It would say that there's something about flipping the pages that just sounds good to the preacher. <laughs> something about reading ink on paper, and that's the only way to consume it. Are you kidding me? Prior to that, but the, the, this is the, the, the killer thing, this same dude, and this was like the hypocrisy in it too, the same dude would listen to the Bible on audio. Mind-blowing. So he, he would consume it in a different fashion on audio, but the only way you could have a Bible in church was if you had the physical hard paper version right in front of you. That was you, quote unquote, bringing the Bible to the church. So here's me. I'm in technology, right? And I'm actually a leader. I helped launch this church. You know, I, even with startups at that point, I, I'm, I helped start three different churches. I've always been into building things and, and affecting people in a way. Why? Because I look back in, when I was five years old, I was part of the same thing in a church setting, in building something new from scratch. I felt that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to help others do the same thing and provide them with a business mindset to be able to do that. But when I walked in with my iPad, because, you know, in tech, I had to get the first gen iPad. Why? You, you need to be a product of your product, right? If I'm running a tech firm, I need to have the latest available of everything that's out there. If I'm walking in today and I've got a laptop, you remember how laptops used to be? They used to weigh 87 pounds set them on your desk and, and it's like the whole desk would kind of lean one direction because they just weighed so much. They were so huge, so thick. If I walked in with something like that right now, I would be laughed at. And I hope there's some tech guys listening to this too, because I've known IT business owners over the years that still do this. They walk in with these humongous things and that's not what people are looking for. They're looking for the best way to achieve their results and it has to look good.
It always has to look good. I walk in with, the, with an efficient way into this church with my, with my tablet, with my brand new Bible app on it. When the first iPad ever came out that changed the face of technology, and I was getting yelled at for this because I had a new way of doing something that was an easier way to consume it. Just because it wasn't the same way that this person grew up with, and that was the only way, it, it was just mind-blowing to me. Find a church, you know, if this is part of your spirituality to where you want to gather with people every week, you want to gather with people in certain settings, find a place that is in touch with culture, that actually knows what you're going through right now and is not trying to apply what happened 50 years ago, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, even two years ago to what's going on today. And I'm not talking the biblical principles. I'm talking about the methods and the ways that those actually apply right now, because those where I was saying that I believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, the principles will always be the same. But what they apply to and how that message is delivered will always change. It has to because people are ever evolving. People are ever changing. And even more so, it's more minds and more perspectives that get a hold on this to where we are, in, we are imperfect. I know I'm not a perfect human being. Everyone on this earth is imperfect. Nobody has it all together. You can't expect them to. Even the person that's on the stage with the microphone at the church that you go to does not have it all together. That does not mean that you shouldn't go, but just have the right expectation that they've got the same struggles, they've got the same difficulties, they have the same crap that hits them every single day that you do. They're just in a position to where they typically want to serve and help others. You know, that's another concept that I learned throughout the whole thing is how do I apply that? How do I apply spirituality to my life? As I was launching these churches, you know, these couple of different churches, I was offered a salary constantly, constantly because I was worth it. I know that I was worth it, but I refused it every single time. Because I have this mindset, and this goes back to where a biblical principle where Paul in the New Testament, he would, he would go to different churches. He would stay there for several months at a time, be on staff, if you want to call it that. But he would employ himself in the town. He was called Paul the tent maker. <laughs> he made tents. That's how he paid for his food. That's how he covered his needs for survival. He did not accept any compensation from the churches whatsoever. And I look back at that as an example, and that's what I stood for. Because I wanted to be able to do what I needed to do. I wanted to be able to have the freedom to say what I needed to say, to give people the straight truth from my perspective, from my viewpoints, without having to worry about, is that person going to go away and my salary have to get cut by 10% because now the total givings to that organization has gone down because of something that I said. Do you see the conflict of interest there? I always say ethics are always an economic proposition. Ethics in a church are even more so an economic proposition when the head of that church, and this is going to upset a lot of people, a lot of pastors, when the head of that church is getting their primary source of income from that organization, you are in conflict with the people that are coming to you for help. You are no, you are no longer serving them. You are working for them. That's where your wages come from. 
The Bible also says that, you know, a laborer is worthy of his hire. Labor is worthy of his wages. That's great. So go work and find your primary income source from somewhere else. That's what I'm going to encourage you to do. There's a lot of amazing pastors out there that do not take money from the church as a primary source of income or any income at all from the church because they are finding that they need to serve. That's amazing to me. That's why I never accepted money from the church. I couldn't. I found it elsewhere. Even when my twins were born, a week after I was laid off and had no dollars coming in, I did not go to the church and say, you know all this work that I'm doing for you? Because I was almost bivocational at the time putting 50 hours in at my job and putting 50 hours into the church because I wanted to serve. I still did not take any money from it at that point in time. I commend the pastors that are out there who are putting themselves in the position where they are obtaining what they need to survive, just like Paul in the Bible, just like Paul employing themselves in the town, around. There's a lot of great pastors that are authors. They write amazing contents to help serve others, or they go and speak other places at entrepreneurial conventions and seminars, because spirituality and whatever you believe really should be, you don't have to believe the same thing I do, but it really should be what guides you in how you serve others in your relationships, in your business. What you believe is really what should drive you. Don't try to take on somebody else's beliefs. That's another thing that I've learned over the course of the years and being so involved and so deep in this and that everyone looks to that person that's on the stage is this is the way it's got to be. Everything that they, that they do, I'm going to model my life after that. My 11-year-old just the other day said, you know, Dad, I was at church with Grandma and Grandpa this past weekend while you were out of town and I kind of noticed something that this has been, this is an 11-year-old that's seeing this. It was, it blew my mind. And it was just he and I, we were just out running some errands. And he tells me that I've seen this in all the churches that we've gone to, Dad, to where they will say, hey, love God, but be like me. I was floored. (laughs) Because even an 11-year-old is is seeing the, the conundrum that exists. Why can't you love God and be like you? Be like yourself. Why can't you love God, love others, and be like you? Because you are unique. You are special. There is nobody else on this planet that was created the same exact way that you are, that is meant for the same exact things. Sure, you might have the same job as somebody else. You might have the same exact role. But the difference in those roles is you. You are different. You are special. There is nobody that can tell you, hey, you need to be like me and that's how you're going to achieve success or that's how you're going to be right with God is if you be like me. No, you need to be like you. The way that you were created to, if you look for spirituality as a guide like I do, look at how you were created and what you were meant to be and be like more like you, the way that you are meant to be. Now, here's, here's another conundrum, right? Everyone really fails at who they're supposed to be. (laughs) I know I have. Wherever you see that you know, and you know, deep down, you might even be searching for who you are supposed to be. Maybe it's because you've been trying to be like everybody else. Or maybe you've been in a difficult spiritual setting to where they're saying, this is the template with no deviations, no uniqueness, 
There is nobody else that's made like you. So how can a template completely fit every single person uniquely that's out there that was ever born? It's impossible. I, there, there was a, uh, a band that I used to listen to. I, I, like I said, I love music uh, by the name of DC Talk. And they were ones that were really, they were the most commercial Christian band that ever existed. Multiple platinum selling would sell out stadiums. And I was there and I was, I saw tons of them. I even went, I was even like a roadie for a couple of months and saw several shows with a friend of mine that were in the Midwest when they were doing their tour around there. And diversity was one of their biggest messages. Yeah, and one of the songs that I remember is Colored People. And how the whole point of the song, it was focused on color, but still it expanded beyond that. And that everyone is so uniquely created that there is no one way. I believe that there is one God, but there is no one way that all of those principles, the principles that are unchanging can apply in the same way to each individual to help you achieve success, to help you do what you're meant to do in life, to help you be more of you. There is no cookie cutter way for that. Find yourself a place, if, this is, if you're driven by spirituality like I am, with relationship with your creator, find a way to dive into a place where they allow you to be you. The good, the bad, the ugly, because the people that are on stage also have the good, the bad, and the very ugly. It's just hidden better. I I love this because there's so many amazing things that that could be accomplished in in churches, and there's some amazing ones. Yeah, that, that, that really is the straight truth. Find a place that can allow you to be you you've got to uh, that was my struggle going through uh, so I was 16 I was uh, this story is in my book actually where I had sex with a girl in the youth group and I was just shunned I mean I was placed up front in the very first pew the, the only reason I could have gone out my dad was dead at this point and I could have just left and gone out and done my own thing my mom wouldn't have cared it didn't matter. I, I was my own man when I was 16 years old I was raising my, my younger brother and sister I slept with a girl in the church and she got upset with me for breaking up with her like a month later and then that's when she just went and told people you know great whatever but as part of my punishment <laughs> I had to, because they felt like I wasn't I was fatherless, so to speak, and they there needed to be someone who stepped into that role at the time. And there were some really good people. They were just in that cookie cutter mentality, right? I, I, I loved the leaders in that church. They just didn't know what to do with a guy who was kind of outside the mold, who actually thought for himself instead of follow the path that they were laying out in that, that template, because that's all that they knew. And that's, that's fine. But they sat me up front in... in you know, just on display, so to speak. They didn't really allow me to be me because me in that case was really almost like every other 16-year-old boy that existed. And there were worse problems going on in the lives of the leaders of that church than what I would ever do when I was 16. You know, it was impossible for me to have that kind of influence because it didn't affect anybody else besides me and that person that was involved at the time. Find a place that allows you to be you, that accepts the good, the bad, and the ugly, because the very ugly is being hidden in that place, even more so. And that's not to say just walk away for good. I'm never going to say that because there's 
huge value in gathering with those who have the same fundamental foundational beliefs that you do. There's a lot more in common. There's a lot more that, that you can go after. And this is another principle I apply too. I say, you know, only, only chill with the ones that help you build in business. It's like-minded people that you have to surround yourself with, ones that will lift you up rather than break you down, ones that will help you achieve what you need to in life, that will help you get to that next phase, rather than those who will just hold you back because they're still holding on to what was in the past or what should be they feel now because it's what worked before. Always look towards the future. Be in the present but and right there for everybody who needs you right now, but always looking towards the future. The, the past is always a guide. What do you think the Bible is? The Bible is a history book. That's the past. That's a guide. Have, have you ever had a pastor tell you, Anything about the Bible in that perspective? I've heard the word like, hey, use the Bible as your guide. But ha have they ever looked at it from the perspective of it's really a history book? And it's, you know, there's so many things in there that are undeniable because they correlate with different historical references that exist throughout the world. You know, that, that just shows the proof right there that what's in there is absolutely real. It's still a history book inspired by God, but it's still a history book. It is the past, which there's a lot of wisdom that comes from the past. There always is the good that you can take out of it because of the things that worked and then the bad, which might not have worked so well, at least for the people in the stories. You can say, well, I'm not going to be like that dude or that girl because I saw what happened to them. It's meant as a guide, but it's still taken from the perspective of the time period that it was written in. The principles do not change. The application today is constantly evolving. If there's one thing that you want to take out of this episode today, you know, I always tell you to extract. I think I've given like 87 one things in this episode. You know, I'm, I'm really excited about this. That's a number I always go to. I don't know why it is, you know, 87, but it, count them. If you know, if you want to, you know, it's like count the, the candy in the jar. Squirrel. Tell me how many M&Ms are in there. Go ahead. Count how many one things you can pull out of this. Listen to it over and over again, because I don't want to see you suffer. This is the one thing. I don't want to see anybody suffer. I went through a lot of crap in different churches, people trying to tarnish my reputation because I thought differently and because they always wanted to stay in the same lane that they were in but i also found a lot of really really good people too movers and shakers that want to do really good for everybody else around them that's who you have to get around and that's your one thing for today is find the people that continuously look forward that can apply the wisdom of the past to the correct application of today and you can apply it to anything. Your spirituality, your beliefs needs to be the foundation of what you do and drives you forward to be able to serve everyone else. And then you can take it from the perspective of saying, I know I messed up here, but I know I have this awesome historical reference and I have my foundational beliefs, which will allow me to positively influence the ones that are around me. As long as I put the right people around me, they'll be able to do the same back to me. That's awesome. Have an amazing week and that's what I got for you today. There we go. Boom. Hey, thanks for going all in with me today. Subscribe to the show so you get the new episodes when they come out every Monday. Rate and review the show if you're listening on iTunes. Follow me on social media at Mr. Rick Jordan. As always, you can find links and references to anything we've talked about in this episode in the show notes. 
And finally, share this episode with someone who you think might be able to level up their life by listening. I am Rick Jordan, and I approve this message. That was very informative and very important for people to understand where your mind comes from. Yeah. I love that. There's this thing I have about microphones. I must talk into them.